It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To get rid of it so long as he prescribed the vile alcoholic beverage, and he foresaw a goodly number of fees resulting from the judicious mode which he thus adopted of treating an ailment that did not exist. "'And now, my dear madam,' he continued, "'how is our tongue? Ah, not quite right yet. And how are our pulse?' Then, as the case was pronounced to be important, the doctor lugged out an enormous gold stopwatch, and bent over it with a mysterious and even ominous expression of countenance as he felt the patient's pulse. "'Well, doctor, what do you think?' asked Mrs. Slingsby, looking as anxious and miserable as if she had been in the dock at the Old Bailey, about to hear the verdict of the jury. "'We must take care of ourselves, my dear madam, we must take care of ourselves,' said the physician, shaking his head. "'Our pulse is not quite as it ought to be.' How's our appetite? Do we think we could manage a little slice of boiled fowl today? But we must try, my dear madam, we must try. And we must take a glass or two of wine, port wine, of a good body. We must not reduce ourselves too low. And this evening for supper we must take gruel again, and the brandy and water as an indispensable medicine afterwards. I will endeavour to follow your advice, my dear sir, said Mrs. Slingsby though heaven knows that the idea of the old port wine at dinner. "'Well, my dear madam, I know it is repugnant to you, very repugnant,' interrupted the physician in a calmly remonstrative tone. "'But the world cannot afford to lose so excellent a member of society as yourself. Consider your friends, my dear madam. Exert yourself on their account. Triumph over these little aversions to wine and brandy.' and take them as medicines, in which sense do I offer them. And now, my dear madam, I will write you out a little prescription. You had better get it made up as usual at Timmins and Jake's in Bond Street. I have no interest in recommending them, you know, not the slightest, but I am sure their drugs are good, my dear madam. Which was as much as to imply that the drugs of other chemists were not good, and we may here observe that the disinterested physician merely received a thousand a year from Messrs. Timmins and Jakes for recommending all his patients to send his prescriptions to their shop. The doctor wrote some professional hieroglyphics upon a slip of paper, and scrawled at the bottom something which would have represented the name of Snooks, or Brown, or Thompson, quite as well as it did Wagtail. He then rose received from Mrs. Slingsby his fee, neatly wrapped up in a piece of tissue paper, and took his departure, holding his stick to his nose all the way downstairs. 
The afternoon passed away somewhat tediously for Rosamond, and when dinner was placed on the table, Mrs. Thingsby contrived to do honour to the boiled fowls, and though she held forth at considerable length upon her abhorrence for port wine, she managed to swallow four glasses of the generous juice, in a manner which Rosamond considered highly creditable to her moral courage, seeing how much she detested it. Shortly after dinner, which was served in the drawing-room, Sir Henry Courtenay made his appearance. The baronet's eyes sparkled with delight when he beheld his intended victim at the pious lady's abode, and looking more sweetly beautiful, more divinely interesting, than she had ever yet appeared to him. The blood boiled in his veins, as his glances rapidly swept her slight but symmetrical form, and as he thought within the recesses of his own iniquitous heart, "'This night thou shall become mine.' It will be remembered that during the last few days of her previous sojourn at Mrs. Slingsby's abode, Rosamond had been taught to form a very high opinion of the baronet, but the pious lady had not gone so far as to instil any voluptuous sentiment into the mind of the young maiden. Thus, when the baronet, on the occasion of his visits to Torrens Cottage, had addressed her in a somewhat equivocal manner, she did not comprehend him, and hence Sir Henry's reproach against Mrs. Slingsby, that she was but an indifferent tutoress. Still, Rosamond was predisposed to admire the baronet's character, as it had been represented to her by Mrs. Slingsby, and she was by no means sorry that he had arrived to vary the monotony of the evening. He exerted all his conversational powers to please her, and she could not conceal from herself the delight which she experienced in listening to those outpourings of a well-informed mind and a richly cultivated intellect. The supper-hour arrived while she thought the evening was still young, so rapidly had the time passed away. Mrs. Slingsby partook of her gruel with as good a grace as she could possibly assume, but she ever and anon cast a longing glance towards the more substantial and succulent viands spread upon the board. The brandy and water was, however, a consolation, and this the baronet, who mixed for her, made as strong as she could wish, and much stronger than Dr. Wagtail, where he really sincere in his advice, could have possibly intended her to take it. Shortly before eleven, the baronet rose and took his departure, Mrs. Slingsby ringing the drawing-room bell for the servant to open the front door for him, with a ceremony the object of which was to let every one in the house know that he had departed, and the hour at which he went, in case of any exposure following the dread plot now in progress. Mrs. Slingsby and Rosamond then remained in conversation for a few minutes, the topic being the excellent qualities of Sir Henry Courtney. "'Rosamond, my love,' at length said Mrs. Slingsby, "'before you retire to your own chamber, have the kindness to lock the sideboard in the drawing-room, and bring me the keys, for really servants are so neglectful.' The beautiful girl departed with the alacrity of an obliging disposition to execute this little commission. But the moment she had quitted the drawing-room, Mrs. Slingsby emptied the dark contents of a very small phial into the only half-finished glass of port wine which Rosamond had left. The infamous woman then resumed her recumbent position upon the sofa, and, oh, the abominable mockery, appeared to be occupied with her Bible, when the artless, innocent, and unsuspecting maiden returned to the room. "'Here are the keys, my dear madam,' said Rosamond, "'and everything is safe downstairs. I shall now wish you a good night's rest.' 
finish your wine, my love, before you retire, observed Mrs. Slingsby, in a softly persuasive tone. I am not mean, but you know that I am averse to waste in any shape. Rosamond blushed at having merited the species of reproach thus conveyed, and drank the contents of her wine-glass. Then, as it struck her that the flavour of the wine was somewhat less pleasant than it should be, but without attaching the least importance to the idea, and forgetting it altogether a moment afterwards, she ate a small piece of bread to take away the disagreeable taste. "'Good-night, my dear madam,' said the maiden, bending over the pious lady and kissing her cheek. "'Good-night, Rosamond, my love,' returned Mrs. Slingsby. "'I shall remain here for a quarter of an hour to perform my usual devotional exercises, and then I shall retire to my own chamber.' Rosamond withdrew, and sped to the room prepared for her. She felt wearied, and made haste to lay aside her garments, and arrange her hair. But in the midst of her occupation, a sensation of deep drowsiness came over her, and she was glad to step into bed as speedily as possible, omitting for perhaps the first time since her childhood to kneel down first in prayer. A minute afterwards, and she was sound asleep. Three persons at that precise period had their minds filled with the image of Rosamond. In the solitude of his chamber, at his lonely cottage, Mr. Torrens endured the torments of the damned, mental torments indescribably more severe than the most agonising of physical pain could possibly be. Mercenary, selfish, cold, callous as he was, he could not stifle the still small voice of conscience which told him he had done a flagrant, a vile, an awful deed, which would fill his cup with a bitterness that no earthly pleasure, no mundane reward, could possibly counteract or change. He felt that he was a monster in human shape. He was afraid to catch a glimpse of his own countenance in the glass, for when he once surveyed it rapidly, its workings were horrible to behold. To sell his daughter for the filthy lucre which had tempted him, it was horrible, atrocious and then then at that very moment while he was pacing his chamber the fell deed might be in consummation he walked to the window how black was the night how menacing were those clouds that seemed laden with storm he started back with a look of horrified amazement was there not some dreadful shape in the air assumed not those clouds the form of a tremendous being with a countenance of lowering vengeance and awful threatenings. No, it was fancy, and yet the temporary creation of that fancy was dreadful to behold, as cloud piled on cloud for an instant wore the semblance of a supernal, moving phantom, black and menacing with impending storm. The guilty, wretched father clenched his fists, gnashed his teeth, knit his brows, and compressed his lips together, to prevent his voice from suddenly shrieking forth in accents of heartfelt agony. Having remained for about twenty minutes in the drawing-room, 